morning. It's good for us to be here again. Um, this whole last week, I don't really know what's been going on in my life, and I don't know what's going on in your life. But for whatever reason, I'm finding myself lately really, really, really unsettled. I, I, I just feel unsettled, and I, and I don't know why. As a matter of fact, I went and I told my uh, therapist, I saw him last week, and I said, Al, I said, I'm just feeling really unsettled. And he began to talk me through some stuff, and, and when it was all said and done, he said, you need to go to um, the Gethsemane Monastery over there by Shelbyville somewhere. You just need to sit for three days and just be quiet. He said, you just need to hear from God. You need to be alone. You need to do something you don't normally do. And so I'm processing that out. But in the midst of it all, there's exciting things going on. I love this case for love that we're doing. Did you see all the stuff when you came in? Um, today, we're still continuing to take the, the suitcases for the, um, um, the foster children because of the way that things are managed for them when they get removed from a home. And so as, as I'm feeling unsettled, I'm, I'm describing to my therapist this outreach that we're doing. It's absolutely amazing. It's just catching on. And I want to encourage you just to determine, you know what, we're going to be a part of that. Foster children in Madison County that need something more than a garbage bag to put their belongings in so that we give them some integrity back and then we don't make them feel like leftover or used children. Can you imagine, what would you feel like if somebody said, you are nothing more than a person holding a garbage bag full of your favorite stuff? That's, that's all you are. Wouldn't it feel better if your favorite stuff was inside of a suitcase because there is really honestly something about that that says I must be more valuable than somebody just holding a garbage bag, which tells us something about the way we value people in our societies, which I think honestly is one of the reasons that I'm so unsettled. I'm, I'm kind of tired of the political climate in America. Um, I'm also tired of keeping my mouth shut. I'm tired of the enemy screaming in this ear, you're not enough, you're not good enough, uh, you're going to fail, it's going to be awful. And, and I hear that over here, and I want to hear the Lord say, come, go, do this. I, I, I'm hungry for that. But I'm tired of people being shot and, and wondering how many and where every time I wake up and I, and I turn the news on or I look on social media. I'm tired of everybody positioning themselves and saying, well, let me tell you what did it or how it happened or how it was. I, I, I'm really tired of politicians talking out of both sides of their mouth. Ten years ago, they're saying the exact same thing that's being said today, but now they're throwing grenades at each other as uh, politicians. And, and it just is wearing us out. And I literally, after the shooting down in El Paso, began to just cry out to God and say, what is going on that people will do this to one another? And I really feel like, I honestly feel like, I honestly feel like that what you and I are seeing is the exasperation of hopeless and helpless people. Let me say that again. What I think you're seeing is the exasperation of hopeless and helpless people. Your government doesn't listen to you. They don't care. They're trying to do their own thing. And, and I know that's a big general statement and a terrible one. But I'm just saying, I'm telling you what's unsettling me. And it's the idea that out there you're not going to find peace and purpose. It's not going to happen. We have to find it apart from this world. I've often said that if I, if I were in a communist country, I hope that I would be the exact same Joe Wood that I am right now. 
And yet we're seeing things escalate in a, ne- in a negative way, in my opinion. And I'm not saying the people of America. I'm saying the institution seems to be creating a certain helplessness. And so I've been praying about that and crying out for that. And I don't, I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're feeling. All of those children down on the border, and it's like, God, what do we do? I'm trying to affect the ones in Madison County. I'm trying to get them shoes, and you did a great job. We're trying to get them school supplies, and you're doing a great job. We want to make them cotton candy and popcorn and say, welcome to school, and you're doing a great job. But it feels like we're hardly even scratching what's going on, and it begins to get overwhelming. This is a season of finding our routine. School's going to be back in on Wednesday in Madison County. The children will be back. We'll put them there. Parents will get their sanity back. Moms will now have a life at least for four hours in the middle of the day. It will be good, okay? Your children will be hopefully in a safe spot being taught, and you will be like breathing and, and get to do some things you weren't doing. Our nation is at war with itself in the midst of all of that as we're trying to find routine, and this is what's going on, and I've, I've, I've talked about that long enough. But I think people are asking why, what's going on. You and I are here. We're not being shot at. We know that life can be crazy, but it's a different kind of crazy. We're trying to get our kids in school. We're trying to get their clothes bought. We're trying to get things done for them. We're trying to move forward. What, what, what did I put here? Life can be scary, crazy, upsetting, and just straight up hard and there's times in our lives when we just decide that man we just like to leave life and I'm just telling you that that is not the answer that's not sometimes we have to face tough things and so as I was talking to God about this and I was saying Lord sometimes this is just really 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 hard what's a word for us in our church as we interact with people that are suffering that are hurting that are broken that sometimes we come in here and we're lonely we can't make ends meet the finances aren't enough the bills are overwhelming our children have gone wayward god my physical body is broken if you would just heal it for me and all these things start to mount and, and stack up in our lives and does god care does god have something to say to you and i today Wow, Pastor Joe, this is a real downer so far. (laughs) Could you just like make it an upper a little bit for us? I want to. I want to. I want to encourage you today in this scripture from Genesis chapter 1. I don't often preach from the beginning of the, you know, the very first page of my Bible, but I want to today. And I only want to preach from just the first two verses and that's it. And I want to share with you that you and I can make a difference. Not only can you and I make a difference, but I want to share with you that God wants to make a difference in your life. I want to, I want to share with you that God sees you. I want, to, I want to share with you and get you to believe that the Lord is right here. I'm not saying that it's all about health, wealth, and prosperity. Somebody teased me the other day and said, hey, when is Vineyard going to get a jet? <laughs> I said, I don't know, right after we get pennies probably. It'll be all right. It's going to be okay. I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is we want to be faithfully following Jesus, whether we're at school, whether we're at home, whether we're at church, and we don't want it to be about going to church. I don't want you to come to church. I don't. I want you to be the church. I want you to be the church at work. I want you to be the church in the grocery store. 
I want you to be the church when you're out at Mexican food and you, the Lord says, go buy that family's dinner. I want you to be the church there. I want you to tell them when you do that, I just want to encourage you and love on you a little bit. I just want to say that the Lord sees you. You see, because we see this picture in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and it says this, in the beginning, in the beginning. And I, and I can pretty much stop it, in the beginning, God. What a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of my morning, in the beginning of my day, in the beginning of my rant about my problems, in the beginning of my issues with America right now, in, in, in my, the beginning of my issues with politics right now, in, in the beginning of my issues with drugs in America right now, in the beginning of my issues with poor people, with homeless vets not being cared for, in the beginning, God. And it just seems to me that that's where it's got to start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a period. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sooner or later, you're going to come to a place in your life where you have to decide where the earth come from. I believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at this in verse 2. Now the earth was, the earth was, the earth was. It used to be, but it's not anymore. In the beginning, in the beginning, the earth was formless, empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's, that's all the scripture that I, well, mostly all the scripture that I want to, to share with you today. In the beginning, you see this picture of what's going on. I'm an, I'm an artist. I'm working on a new painting right now. And I'm just, I'm in this place where in the beginning, there's this white sheet of paper in the beginning. And I'm in charge. I'm in charge. In one room, with the door shut, and my paints on my table, I am the boss. I am the king of my kingdom, and I get to get the paint out, and then I start making colors on it. And so I see this picture of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it says that the earth was formless and darkness was over the spirit, and the spirit of God is hovering over top of it all. Did you see that? The earth was there. No, no, no. It says in the beginning. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was, and I'm just going to capitalize this for you, W-A-S, was without form. It was formless. It was empty. There was darkness over the surface of what? Something was there, and the Spirit was hovering over top of it. Do you know in the Hebrew language that that word that's used right there for was, and some of you have heard me say this before, is also used in the Old Testament for became. Believe it or not. Think about that for a second and plug that into that sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth became formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's a theory there, became theory, early on. It gets wrestled back and forth theologically. Let me just say this, though. I'm what's referred to as a young earth person. I do believe that the earth is young. I believe in six days of creation, and on the seventh day we rest. I understand that there are things that I cannot explain, and I, and I honestly don't care what science says anymore because it's going to be refuted tomorrow by another scientist. 
It is. How many times does that happen? Eggs are bad for you. They're going to kill you. Eggs are good for you. Your grandma ate them until she was 92. But they finally killed her when she was 92. Wine is terrible. You're going to go to hell for drinking it. No, wine is actually good for you. <laughs> Even Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Huh? Coffee is the worst thing you can do to your body. Unless you drink two to three cups a day and then it's really good for you. That one said it's bad. This one says it's good. This one's from God. Okay? <laughs> Those of you who know me know that I can stop whenever I want. Okay? I just choose not to. All right? Science has for decades, for decades said that dinosaurs became extinct 68 million years ago on the earth. Science has said that. Science has told you billions and billions of years ago the, the heavens just came together and something decided to be a fauna and something decided to be an animal and something decided to be muck. Seriously? Where did that something come from? That's not relevant to the conversation. <laughs> it's wicked relevant to me. I'm from New England, so you have to say wicked before things. Okay? It's wicked relevant to me. Where did it come from? And so you have to begin to ask that. So science says dinosaurs became extinct 68 million years ago. Science says that the T-Rex lived 70 million years ago. Science theorizes, put some quotation marks around that, please, that under the best of conditions, DNA could last maybe a million years, maybe, put quotation marks around that, and they theorize, but not red blood cells. They can't hardly last under the best of conditions, maybe a million, but I mean DNA will, but red blood cells can't even last that long. It's not possible. So T-Rex, his feet are too little, dies out for whatever reason. Let's just go with, I don't know, the great flood. Uh, according to science, 70, uh, 68 million years ago, they died out. And yet, in Montana... Not long ago, I can name the scientist for you. I'll go ahead and throw it out there for you. Mary Schweitzer, along with a museum field crew chief, Bob Harmon, found a T-Rex while Bob was having lunch. He was out there dusting in some dinosaur alley, trying to figure out where they all ran to when whatever cataclysmic thing happened, where they huddled up so that they could find some bones and they found an intact T-Rex because as he was having his sandwich he leaned over moved over whatever he did and there was a bone sticking out and so they began to very carefully bring that thing out of the earth and it just so happens that in the course of needing to transport this thing down to a university somewhere where they could do some testing on it they had to purposefully break one of his femurs I believe it was his femur break his leg bone so that they could take him in two pieces and when they did guess what they found soft tissue and red blood cells you know what they're doing now they're trying to figure out why Christianity is wrong. They're trying to dispute the young earth thing. Well, let us tell you why that there was some sort of a miraculous occurrence that these red blood cells actually did last this long. But it's, it's an anomaly and it's not normal. I agree. I agree 100%. Unless you stop and you think maybe they were wrong about the age of the earth. 
Well, how can they be wrong? If they find a, 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 a plesiosaurus, or whatever it's called, in this strata of rock, they know that that plesiosaurus is um, 137 million years old. How do they know he's 137 million years old? Because that strata of rock is 137 million old. How do you know that that rock is 137 million years old? Well, because that dinosaur's in it. <laughs> My dog used to do that when I raised dogs that had tails. They would run around the kitchen chasing their tail, and it makes no sense, and it doesn't make any sense in science at times either. Now, for some of you going, well, hold on a second here, you whack job. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. The word used in the Old Testament for a day, 24-hour period, there was evening, there was morning, there was day. That word day, well, Pastor Joe, ten, a, a thousand years can be a day. In the, no, 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 no. The word used there for a day and the word used here for a day are, are, are this one is 24-hour uh, period. That's it. In the creation of the world, the word used for day is used specifically for a 24-hour period of time. Now, not relevant to what's going on except to say sooner or later, you have to decide where you're going to put your faith. Because things keep changing. But have you ever felt like in the midst of all of this crazy and even what I just shared with you, that your life has become formless and empty and dark? And nobody knows. Nobody knows at night what's going on inside of your heart. And I'm not talking about filthy, awful sin. I'm talking about the depression, the anguish, the anxiety. I'm talking about the fear of tomorrow. I'm talking about the idea that everything is overwhelming to you as we get ready. As we gather together, school is starting, the world's going crazy, you're headed to work, the tires go flat, you're headed home to make dinner, the milk has turned sour, the dog food's out, you forgot, so now you've got to go back out to the store. You're trying to get through the day, painting the kitchen, and some child knocks over a whole gallon of paint on the brand new linoleum. Things that happen in the life of everyday parents, believe it or not. You finally have time for a date day, but you come home and that child's got his arm broke, clear in half, and it's, you know, like that now. Seriously. The company you work for is reorganizing, so you're out of a job. You fix the car, the truck goes down. When does it stop? God, when are you going to fix this? Can you please smooth it out? How can we possibly go on? I hate this. How can I handle this, Lord? How is it possible to handle the apparent chaos that we call life? Let me read this to you again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the water when there was nothing but darkness the spirit of god was hovering over it when what was going on back in what you and i don't understand as time was chaos and we couldn't possibly put it together if we'd been created. God was there, and he was hovering over it. He hadn't left us. He had a plan that he was working on. And he was hovering over it in the same manner in which he says, neither will I leave you, neither will I forsake you. There's not a time in your life that you will be separate from God. 
When you're going through the toughest, when you're going through the darkest, when you're going through the most difficult, when you're going through the most unseemly, when you have made so many mistakes that you don't know if you can overcome them, there is always God hovering, trying to bring you back. And I began to think this way in my artistic self. When it is dark, God is up to something. When something's going on that I cannot possibly comprehend, God is up to something. He's doing something. When your world is chaotic, seemingly, seemingly without form, the artist who is God is about to roll up his sleeve, throw down some clay, and make something incredible. That's the way I feel when I have paper on my table. It's a little creepy because sometimes I just bend over and smell it <laughs> when nobody's in the room. Because in my head, something cool is about to happen and all that's there is a piece of paper. Something that I want to do out of love for somebody else. Something that I want to do because I want to touch somebody's life. Something that I want to do just because it needs to be done and something inside of me is dying to be creative. Out comes the water. And it starts getting splashed around on this piece of paper. And I remember that when it was dark, God was about to roll up his sleeves and throw down some clay and do something amazing like create people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The deep things of your life, God has not stopped hovering over. Your sickness your fear, your struggle, your apparent emptiness, your I don't have enough to make the ends meet, how am I going to get through this, God? How will we do this if you don't come by here? That part of your life, God is already rolling up his sleeves, but he has never stopped hovering over your children. He has never stopped hovering over your, lo your loss. He has never stopped hovering over your dreams. He has never stopped hovering over your whole life. He's hovering over each and every hair that's on your head, and he knows them. He's hovering over the stars and the sky, and he calls them by name. And he's hovering over this world even as it's playing out. See, the scripture says 10 times in the book of Genesis in the creation period, God said. And I love that part. He's hovering over the deep, and, he sa and the scripture says, and so God said. And when God says, it happens. We have to find our peace and our patience in understanding that God hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He is still hovering over us because he loves us. He is just getting wound up because he's going to get his colors out. And you're just a big white piece of paper. And he is going to make something incredible out of you. Every time you say yes, another splash of color goes into your life. And it ends up amazing most powerful thing that God said in the first week of creation was, let us make mankind in our image. 
that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. The God that hovers over you is moving you and shaping you and changing you. And it doesn't always feel good, but he's creating you more and more into his image. If I stand up here, here is but a man, two arms, two legs, and a head. He's got this desire to succeed. I want to provide for my family. I want to be dangerous. I want to be bold. But it's only a piece of a picture of God. It's not the whole picture of God. And in order for the whole picture of God, somebody else has to stand on this stage. It doesn't have to be my wife, but it needs to be a woman, not connected to me, um, but she's that part of my life. And in that part of my life, I see the feminine, I see the caring, I see the compassionate, I see the, I see the fierce, okay? I hide in my art room. No, I'm kidding. She's a wonderful person. And so I see that part of God. Can I come home with you for lunch today? My mouth got ahead of me and I may no. But it, you, in order to see God, you've got to see this person who was created in his image, and you've got to see this person who was created in his image. God determined that he would be called our father. God determined that we would call him he. And so he will be our father. But God created Adam and Eve in his image. And I don't know what that image is. But what I do know is that God created me, and inside of me is something that wants to create. We were created in the image of God Almighty, El Shaddai. Elohim is plural and means supreme one or mighty one. But in the midst of our lack of being able to comprehend God, the word that he said was let us create God in our image. And I hope you understand that God loves you. He created man and the work wasn't done until... He created woman, and the work wasn't done really until he breathed life into him. Wow. What about that? The idea that God created our bodies from clay, but breathed his breath into us. What can we not handle with the breath of God? Remember, I preached not long ago about the woman that just touched the hem of his garment. What if I choose to begin to believe that the breath of God that is inside of me, the life that God gives me, is dying to do incredible things by the power of God for the kingdom of God if I will just say yes and choose to believe that he's hovering over me? Wow. I watched a lot of really smart things about DNA this week just so that I could talk intelligent. We're just going to move on. Inside of us is the power of God to be overcomers. We have hope and we have purpose. Paul told the church in Rome, who shall separate us from Christ, the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword or danger as it is written for your sake? We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so what do I say? The DNA, DNA of God that is inside of me makes me more than a conqueror. A hooper and a KO. There's that that Greek word which means I am the champion that owns the field that is my life 
You say, I know, but I'm getting old. So is Tom Brady, but we're headed for seven this year. You knew I had to throw that in because fall's coming. But that's the term that it means. It means we've already won the field. It's already ours. We've got to stop living up like the little Jewish people in their tents before David showed up when, when Goliath was down there. And they were scared for 81 different times for 40 days when Goliath came out and they ran and hid in their tents, the Scripture says. And David said, what? And went over down into the valley of Elah. Because God wants to do something incredible for you because he is in you. But we live like if God doesn't show up, if God has shown up, he has filled you up, and now he wants you to stand up. We carry the DNA of El Shaddai. God, that's right. It's a word from God. Get out the oil and anoint that child. Our DNA is Hupernikeo. We win, so it's time for us to walk like a winner. You were created in the image of God, and his DNA is in you. So, number one, God is our Father, our Creator, and he wants to meet your need. He is the artist, so let him create a solution for you. Stop creating it for yourself. I love this, as God told Moses, and so he tells you today, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Stand firm firm. Stand firm in your salvation. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in obedience to what the scripture says Jesus told us. Stop doing it the world's way and stand firm. The Egyptians, the problems that you see today, you're not going to see again. The Lord will fight for you, but you've got to be willing to be still. Turn everything off and it's time to be still. Be still in the presence of God because he wants to fight for you. God, excuse me, is hovering over you, over your chaos, over your deep. What's your deep today? What's your deep? What's your chaos as you go into Monday if the Lord gives us another day? What's your chaos? What's your deep? What's your dark? What's the thing? God has not left you. See number one. He loves you. He created you. And humanity is the only thing he breathed into to create that life. God said to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Paul tells Timothy, if we are faithful, or if we are faithless, God remains faithful faithful for he cannot disown himself and therefore the word that comes out of his mouth he will be right there with you waiting on you to come away from this world waiting on you to come away from your sin waiting on you to let go of your fear and turn the noise off and let him be God because God DNA is inside of us. Pray for the Lord to open your eyes for what he's going to say. We need to see it. I, I, for one, do not believe that God has stopped talking to us. I cannot believe having a child, getting it through high school and never wanting to talk to it again. Where's the sense in that? 
And if I, being a, a father and barely good, barely, know how to give good gifts to my children, what did Jesus say? How much more does your Father in heaven know and want to give good gifts to his children who ask? Who ask? But open up your eyes because God is moving. And just because it looks too big and too tumultuous and too chaotic and too dark and too fearful does not mean that God is not hovering over it. Because he wants to put his arms around you and pick you up out of it. We can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. God told Elisha through the prophet, he said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with the enemy. And then Elisha prayed this, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so that he can see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's just not a sci-fi movie. Did you see the thing on social media that I posted out there of what prayer can do? That woman went to town, bought a can of corn, and she went to make something, and she needed peas. And she was frustrated because she didn't want to go back to town. She said, Lord, I need peas. Can't I even get peas? And she opened a can of corn, and it was full of peas. Now, did God create peas from the corn? Or did God know what was coming and have somebody mislabel the corn so she would buy it? Both of them are miracles. But in either case, God was already working. And if he cares about this person's fried rice, how much more does he care about what you're going through? He's already working. Ask God to open your eyes so you can see the kingdom of God around you. You might see your friend. You might see your grandma. You might see your pastor, your small group leader, your small group friends. You will see God moving. But don't be surprised if you don't see the kingdom of God around you. Don't be surprised. Because God wants to be in a relationship with you, but he's the king, not me. I come into him, and he's not bowing down to me when I show up. He's an all-consuming fire, and I'm barely tender but I'm good to be tender. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill, you covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Does that not describe our world? But look at what James says. You don't have because you don't ask God. There's a lot of theology in that. But the bottom line is, and I'm not talking glibly as you walk by God. Hey, God, give me this. Hey, God, give me that. I'm not talking like that. I'm talking about in the chaos and the darkness that the Spirit of God is hovering over in your life this morning. It is okay to say, God, open my eyes. God, show me. God, I want to see you. And then give him a chance to do it as we walk in obedience. This morning, I want to start off the school year. I want to say is this a time when there's chaos in your marriage chaos in your life chaos in your relationship to your kids chaos in your finances chaos and you just need to know that God is hovering over it can these people pray for you that God opens your eyes to where he's moving in your life can we do that for you today God I need healing let them pray for you God I need 
grounding, let them pray for you. Because God is still hovering over your life. Because in the beginning, God, and he has never moved since. So it's time for us to draw close. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to come and to be upon us. We invite you to touch our lives, fill our lives, overwhelm us with the knowledge that you are here. We invite you to wrap your arms around us, God. We invite you to draw us up into your lap. We invite you, God, to surround us with your kingdom, with your your people, God, with your holy army. We invite you to surround us. God, the darkness is is coming and it's pushing through through all kinds of, of, of awful things in our lives. People treat people bad for whatever reason that they can find, God, but not your church. Not your church, Lord. Let us hold out hope. Let us hold out help. Let us invite people into purpose through a relationship with you. But let us find it first. As we begin, God, we come to you. And we, we, we need you. We're the ones feeling it, God. Overwhelm us with you. So we say, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.